A warm welcome to First Move. I'm Zane Asher in for Julia Chatterley. Just ahead on the program, reaction to the third criminal indictment of former U.S. President Donald Trump, plus Black Sea Blast, new video showing what appears to be a damaged Russian warship hit by Ukrainian drones. Ukrainian sources tell, telling CNN the Ukrainian Navy and its secret service are behind the attack on a Russian naval base. A live report for you just ahead. Plus, Navalny in court, the Russian opposition leader expected to be sentenced this hour on extremism charges. A fresh conviction in what many are calling a politically motivated legal assault by Moscow on Navalny. And here in the U.S., an important new look on the health of the U.S. jobs market. Uh, we just got these numbers about half an hour or so ago, showing that the U.S. added about 187,000 new jobs in July. And that's below the 200,000 jobs that had been expected. U.S. unemployment, meantime, ticking lower to 3.5%, but hourly earnings coming in stronger than expected. Wall Street reaction to the port? positive. U.S. futures now firmly higher. Tech stocks set to rise for the first time since Monday. Chalk that up to strong gains for Amazon pre-market. The tech giant set to rise more than 8% in early trading on blockbuster earning results. It's uh, best earnings beaten years, but another quarter of weaker shales pressuring Apple. Expert analysis on the mega tech results later on in the program as well. But first, a closer look at today's U.S. jobs Report. I want to bring in Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics. So, Mark, 200,000 jobs, that was what was expected, 187,000 jobs added. Is it a sign that the Fed's actions are working? Just walk us through it. Break down the numbers for us. Indeed, uh, Zane. I think uh, the, the numbers were about as good as they get, right down the fairway, as they would say. Uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand. It shows that the job market remains very resilient, strong, uh, we're creating lots of jobs, but uh, growth is moderating, slowing, just like the Federal Reserve would like to see. Um, and uh, everything is headed in the right direction here. Wage growth is a little strong for the Fed's liking. Uh, you know, obviously they're focused on inflation and want to get uh, that back in the bottle. But uh, even there, I think we're, we're uh, all the trend lines look pretty good. So, you know, it's about as good a report as one could ask for. So is the Fed going to be more focused when they sort of assess these results? Are they more focused on uh, the wage growth number coming in at about 0.4 percent uh, for the month? Or are they going to be more focused on the broad sort of 187,000 jobs added, which, as you point out, is certainly trending in the right direction? Yeah, I think all of the above. I mean, I think they like to see the job growth numbers moderate because that's key to easing up the labor market and taking some of the pressure off and ultimately getting that wage growth number down. But, you know, uh, wage growth is critical to inflationary pressures, particularly in the service side of the economy, which is very labor intensive. Uh, and uh, we need wage growth to moderate a bit more to be consistent with underlying productivity growth, to be consistent with the Fed's 2% target. I, I know I'm saying a lot there, but you know, it, it's not quite where they want to see it, but uh, it is moving in the right direction. And my sense is if job growth continues to moderate like it has, we will see those kind of wage growth numbers that the Fed wants to see. And I don't think, most importantly, I don't think any of what I just said requires any more rate hikes by the Fed. And when, when it comes to uh, the potential of a recession later on this year, I mean, several months ago, a lot of economists were anticipating some kind of a recession, even if it was just a mild one. That seems to have changed now. Um, you know, what are you expecting just in terms of the Fed managing to pull off the soft landing, which is what they had hoped for? 
Yeah, I think they're going to pull it off. Uh, you know, I've thought that all along. I mean, it's tricky. You got to they have to raise rates, interest rates high enough, fast enough to slow things down and quell that inflation, but not too high, too fast to undermine the economy, uh, kind of thread the needle here, uh, so to speak. And they've they've been threading the needle. Uh, you know, uh, we are getting uh, inflation's coming in uh, here pretty quickly. Uh, it's not back to target yet, but it's getting there. Uh, pretty quickly. And they're doing that without any increase in unemployment. You, you mentioned the 3.5% unemployment rate. That's about as low as it gets. And, you know, Zane, it's been there now for, I think, well over a year. So just mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're pulling this off. Well, they've actually managed to thread that needle, as you point out. And in terms of Fitch uh, downgrading U.S. debt, uh, the U.S. losing its triple A rating. I mean, just, just walk us through as to whether or not in the grand scheme of things. Yes, it's big headlines. But does it really matter, do you think? No, no, I don't think it matters at all. Uh, I mean, I think if you ask any global investor that uh, buys bonds, uh, uh, you know, which bonds they'd like to own if push comes to shove, if things are going off the rails in the global economy, or even here in the U.S., they'll say a U.S. Treasury bond. That is the AAA credit on the planet. Uh, global investors know that, and uh, you know that's reflected in our interest rates. You know the the uh, U.S. Uh, is the reserve currency. Uh, countries uh, have invested trillions of dollars in U.S. Treasury bonds because they know when they're in a pinch, uh, the, the Treasury bond is the safest place to be. So I, I you know, it's AAA. And last question. I mean, just in terms of the sort of muted reaction we saw this time compared to the relatively more significant reaction we saw back in 2011, why the difference here when it comes to uh, downgrading debt? Well, I think, uh, you know, back in 2011, that was after a very dramatic uh, debt limit increase battle. uh, And that was something we had never seen before. That was really brand new, uh, at least in terms of the the vitriol and uh, the the brinkmanship, and I think just investors were very nervous at that time. And the S and P downgrade uh, just added to those concerns. This go around, you know, uh, we got by the debt limit. Actually, uh, the drama this last uh, summer was more benign than I think people feared. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, the U.S. economy is doing quite well. It's it's the most dynamic economy on the pl- big economy on the planet. It's driving the train, and I think people feel comfortable that, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, U.S. policymakers will address our long-term fiscal issues. All right, Mark, Sandy, live for us there. Appreciate it. Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics. Enjoy your weekend. All right, former U.S. President Donald Trump is back at his golf resort after pleading not guilty to four felony counts in the alleged plot to reverse his 2020 election loss. But the indictment isn't slowing his campaign for a second term. The former leader plans to attend a campaign fundraiser in Alabama tonight and another event in South Carolina on Saturday. His next hearing is set for August 28th when the judge is expected to set a trial date Justice Department prosecutors want to move things along quite quickly, but Trump's legal team is looking to delay the trial until after the 2024 election. Caitlin Palance has the details. Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty for the third time in a criminal case, this time facing charges in Washington, D.C. So he came to the federal courthouse behind me on Thursday afternoon for this initial appearance before a magistrate judge. And Donald Trump was in court 
personally with three of his lawyers, as well as the special counsel himself, Jack Smith, and other prosecutors from his office. So in court today, Trump was there sitting, and he was addressed directly by the judge. He was asked several questions about understanding his rights, understanding what was happening. He was even asked what he was pleading to the charges that he faces. There are four of them, largely conspiracies related to the 2020 election, disenfranchising people's votes, obstructing the congressional proceeding, defrauding the United States government. And he said in these words, not guilty. That's how he said it. Uh, and so Trump, before the judge, he also had to speak directly to her to assert that he understood that it was his right to remain silent. He didn't need, if he spoke to any federal investigators, it could be used against him in court. He acknowledged that he understood that. He also acknowledged that he understood that it would be a crime while he's out on bail to intimidate witnesses or potential jurors in this case. And so that was something that the judge made sure he understood so this was one of those proceedings that was quite procedural, but quite a moment for this courthouse, a courthouse that is right across the street from the U.S. Capitol building where the riot on January 6th took place, and also a courthouse where many of the judges here have handled special investigations around Donald Trump previously, have handled the criminal cases and sentenced his former campaign staffers uh, to jail. And then also this is a court that has heard hundreds of capital riot cases with many of those people being sentenced to jail time and the punishments sometimes being quite harsh for what happened on that day. So Trump himself in court was really a moment that many people wanted to observe, including seven judges on the bench here. The chief judge himself was in the courtroom, even though he wasn't presiding. The next hearing is going to be on August 28th. That's going to be before the judge that will oversee this case to trial. And the issue teed up before her is when will the trial date be? Big question there, uh, specifically because the Justice Department wants to go to trial as fast as they can, and Donald Trump's team in court today already were saying they want to see how large the evidence bulk is in this case because they want to make sure they have a fair trial and want to be able to take their time going through it. Caitlin Polance, CNN, Washington. The indictment against Donald Trump says uh, he deceived the public. However, a new CNN poll shows that most Republicans apparently still believe him. The poll shows 69 percent of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents believe Joe Biden's 2020 win was actually not legitimate. That's up from earlier this year. Overall, 61 percent of Americans say yes, Biden did win fair and square. 38 percent believe that he did not win fair and square. Our poll shows President Biden's approval rating is at 41 percent, about on par with where it's been since the spring. All right, a drone attack on a Russian naval base. This video here apparently shows a sea drone approaching a Russian warship before crashing into it. A Ukrainian source telling CNN the vessel was seriously damaged. The Russian military claims it repelled the attack at the Black Sea port. CNN's Nick Payne Walsh has more. It's yet another sign of the vulnerability of parts of Russia's military establishment that must have considered themselves, frankly, impregnable. Novorossiysk, a Black Sea port, where images show uh, a Ukrainian, it seems, uh, 
overwater drone approaching um, the Olenengorska Gornyak boat, where Ukraine says potentially 100 Russian personnel were at the time of an explosion caused by just short of half a metric tonne of TNT, just a massive force of a blast. Now, clearly a military target hit there, a sign by Ukraine that they can hit parts of Russia that were thought far out of their reach. This possibly hundreds of miles travelled by a Ukrainian drone and also two indications that perhaps an oil storage facility at Fyodosia, kind of on the other side of that gulf, may have been hit as well. Ukrainian officials simply suggesting that that target was indeed uh, inevitable at some point. But exactly what I think Vladimir Putin does not want to see right now after a similar underwater drone attack on the Kerch Bridge recently, the key infrastructure connecting Russia's mainland to the crime Crimean Peninsula uh, that they annexed in 2014 after attacks on Moscow, uh, the drone attacks on the Kremlin, exactly a sign of Russia's increasing vulnerability inside its motherland uh, during this war dragging on the counter-offensive in the south, raging certainly, but these attacks showing that the war is going far uh, from to plan for Russia. Back to you. Any minute now, we are expecting a verdict in the latest trial involving one of the Kremlin's fiercest critics. Alexei Navalny is accused of supporting extremism charges that he calls politically motivated. The Russian opposition leader is already serving more than 11 years in a maximum security prison east of Moscow. And this new verdict could extend his time behind bars by an additional two decades Ahead of the trial, Navalny said that he is prepared for what he called a Stalinist sentence. Nick Robertson joins us now. When we do get this verdict, it will certainly come at a time of intensified suppression of dissent in Russia, especially given the war in Ukraine. Nick, walk us through it. Yeah, Navalny is at the pinnacle, if you will, of the criticism of the political opposition to to Putin before the war. Uh, you know, he was poisoned three years ago, which by by the FSB at the behest of President Putin, apparently. And this was intended to kill him. So Putin's been out to try to silence him for a long time. So a 20 year sentence in a remote and extremely harsh penal colony, colony in Russia is is another version of trying to silence Navalny has been facing terribly harsh conditions in jail, has been kept awake at night, denied reading material, denied writing material. Um, he believes that the, the, the he's been infected with, with, with colds while he's been in the jail. He's visibly, when we see appearances in courtrooms, he has visibly lost weight. His family say that um, this is really uh, essentially a physical punishment. He's been kept in confinement uh, way more than most other prisoners would be. It's all tried, it's all been trying so far to to break his spirit and break his will but but it hasn't done that so far and i think it was very telling at his at the trial just a month ago that led which was in the lead up to this sentence he said you know if a new um a richer country is to be born there basically have to be people who are willing to suffer and pay the price to do that and is indicating that he's one of those the charges specifically that is that is facing today uh, promotion of terrorism funding extremism rehabilitating nazism all of these he, he completely denies but it's very clear the russian state president putin wants navalny as far away from his supporters and as silenced as possible
Yeah, and as you point out, it's certainly about breaking Navalny's spirit, but it's also about sending a very clear message of intimidation to other would-be dissidents as well. Nick Robertson, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, straight ahead, two major tech giants reporting very different results in the second quarter. Tech analyst Bob O'Donnell joins me to discuss Apple and Amazon's very different earnings next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to First Move. The world's most valuable company saw its revenue slip again in the last quarter, Apple said. Revenue fell 1% to $81.8 billion. That is the third consecutive year-over-year quarterly revenue drop. The April to June quarter is typically the slowest of the year for the tech giant, which usually uh, unveils new iPhones in the autumn. Meantime, another tech giant saw its sales boom thanks to strong demand on a wide range of products. Amazon sales grew 11% in the second quarter, sending its stock soaring in after-hours trading. Joining me live now is Bob O'Donnell. He's the president and founder and chief analyst of uh, tech analysis research. Bob, uh, thank you so much for being with us. I want to start with Apple. Uh, declining demands clearly for consumer products for Apple here. It's a prolonged period of a, of a sales slump since 2016. Just walk us through what jumped out to you in these earnings numbers. Well, there's a couple of things. Zane. I mean, the, the biggest factor is that this is proving that Apple is not immune to the overall macroeconomic conditions that we've seen a lot of the tech hardware companies face. And exactly to that point, the other thing to remember is that really the business that was hurt at Apple was the hardware business, mostly iPhone, uh, Mac, iPad, things like that. Watches actually did a little bit better, but it's a smaller category compared to the rest. And so there's a couple of things going on. Some of this is still, frankly, hangover from the pandemic. A lot of people updated devices during the pandemic. The other thing is people are not updating, especially smartphones, nearly as much. The worldwide smartphone market is down and continues to be down. Um, and so what we're seeing is Apple taking its share of the hit to the overall smartphone market. So on the opposite side, their services business is what continues to shine for them. And you know, the beauty of the Apple ecosystem is once you get an Apple device of some kind, uh, be it a phone or a piece or a Mac or an iPad, then they hook you in with their services, the Apple TV, Apple Music, uh, all the other services that they have. And that's what's been building and growing for them. So as long as they continue to sell devices out there and build that install base, which they said was now over 2 billion, 
Uh, that's a lot of people to sell services to. Right, right. Yeah, so just in terms of emerging markets, I mean, when you think about, you point out that they did well in services, but of course the hardware market is tough. A lot of people upgraded during the pandemic and they've held on to those devices. When it comes to the emerging markets, China did better than expected, but the real sort of holy grail for them, the future, when it comes to emerging markets, is India. That is a huge opportunity yes. for Apple. How do they capitalize on that? Yeah, no, and that's exactly right. And, you know, the interesting thing about the iPhone numbers, while they were not good, obviously, they weren't as bad as they could have been because the China numbers were much better than a lot of people expected. And they started to talk about India. Now, India is coming from an extraordinarily small base for them because the Indian phone market is extraordinarily price sensitive. And, of course, Apple's at the ultra premium side of things. So I think with India, there's going to be a couple of things to bear in mind. Number one is Apple does continue to sell a full range of products. Remember, not everybody buys the iPhone 14. Some people are buying the older versions that Apple is selling at a lower price. And I think we'll see more of that in markets like India. Uh, the other thing is attach rate on services in some of the other developing countries is also lower. So um, it's going to be a little bit harder. China attach rate on services has been okay, uh, but again, nothing like it is in the US and Europe. Um, and in India, I think it's going to be even lower. So there's certainly a lot of opportunity and a lot of those markets, it's just about getting the hardware out there first, right? They've got to get a couple of years of building up that install base and then they can start to do more of the content, local content, obviously, you know, for them in terms of like Indian content, uh, TV, et cetera, et cetera, to really drive that forward. Um, and, and just one quick question on another hardware product that they recently announced, the Apple Vision Pro. That's the virtual yes. reality headset that retails at something ridiculous, like $3,500. Yes. I mean, who is that the future just in terms of, um, you know, Apple I, hardware products? Can you really see it taking off with a price point like that? No, it's not going to. And I actually got a chance to try it. I was at the launch event and I was one of the few people that got to try it. And it's look, it's a great product, but it's a great uh virtual reality product. And I emphasize that because VR has been around for a long time. We've had Meta, we've had other bunch of, bunch of other companies, and it's never gone to the mainstream. So even at a lower price point, my concern is um, that that notion of really getting fully encompassed with this thing wrapped around your head is not something a lot of people want to do. And so I think it's going to be a long time before we see Vision Pro uh, get to the point, evolve as a product, and a price point to make it mainstream. So specifically, no, I think it's going to be a while. It's going to be an interesting distraction for a while, to be honest, <laughs> but it's not going to make a significant revenue hit for them for quite some time. Yeah, because I mean, who's, who's the target audience? Let's talk about Amazon. Uh, revenue yes. coming in at $6.7 billion in the second quarter. Uh, net income, excuse me, $6.7 billion in the second quarter. Part of the reason is that they saved a lot of time and money on deliveries. And also, you know, their cash cow does continue to be Amazon Web Services. Walk us through that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there were a lot of eyes on the tech industry as a whole, and Amazon in particular, and AWS in particular, particular, <laughs> to uh, to see what was going on in terms of what's the momentum in the tech market. And so for AWS to come out with really good numbers, uh, I said a lot. It said that, hey, first of all, their business is growing. We saw that Microsoft's Azure business had, go it, it was still growing. All the cloud guys are growing, to be clear. Amazon, Microsoft, uh, 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 Google, as well as Amazon. but 
that the fact that AWS continues to grow as large as they are, I mean, their growth rates are down, sure, but look, this is law of big numbers. When you're that big, you can't grow at 25% quarter or you know year over year every single time. It's going to slow down. And that's what's starting to hit. But it did grow, which means companies are, are continuing to invest, and that's really, really important. And of course, that's where a lot of their profits come from as well. The other good sign from Amazon for, the, for an overall macroeconomic uh, story is the fact that retail, the online purchases went way back up, both in the U.S. and internationally. So again, that's a good sign that there's a little bit more confidence amongst consumers to be buying goods. Uh, and so it's, you know, I think it's setting up the company very well. And I think, again, it sets this nice tone moving forward for overall tech that, hey, a lot of the worst is now past and we can start moving forward. And I, I think that's really important for a lot of people. And then that's how that's being interpreted. And Prime Day numbers, if I understand it correctly, we didn't see Prime Day numbers in the second no, quarter. That right. will show up in the next quarter, right? What are we expecting? I mean, they had they had record numbers this year, actually. They they did. So again, yes, the, the Q3 uh, results should be obviously buoyed by what they did on Prime Day. And again, you know, now that we know how Q2 did from a uh, sales perspective, then you throw in the prime numbers on top of that. Again, a good sign in terms of where people are thinking, how that market is moving, and how they're feeling about online purchasing. And again, I think that's important moving forward. The other thing to bear in mind, one last thing on Amazon is, you know, they start talking more seriously about generative AI, of course, the hot topic of, of the tech world. Right, right. And um, they are they've done some things in the last quarter as well to position themselves. Now that we know companies are, you know, continuing to invest in the cloud, they're just starting to invest in generative AI. And AWS has got some nice new capabilities, as well as the ability to work with others, which is gonna be important in this world. Um, and so that's also a good sign for them moving forward. Yeah, it hasn't translated into faster gains yet um, in no. terms of AWS, but you know the future is certainly promising. Bob O'Donnell, President, Founder, and Chief Analyst of Tech Analysis Research. Thank you so much. And we'll have much more Thank first you. move after the break. All right, welcome back to First Move. That is the opening bell ringing on Wall Street. I'm not sure if we can actually hear it there. Uh, U.S. stocks up and running this frantic Friday for investors. Another big jobs Friday, uh, too, by the way. As we've been reporting, the U.S. economy added a weaker than expected 187,000 jobs last month. Mark Zandi of Moody's Analytics told us earlier that he believes jobs growth has moderated enough to allow the Fed to halt its rate hike campaign. U.S. stocks reactions to today's number certainly higher. A much appreciated bounce after a rough start to August trade. Stocks pressured earlier in the week by rising bond yields after that surprise U.S. credit downgrade by Fitch. Also watching trading in two Nasdaq heavyweights, Apple and Amazon. A strong bounce in early trading for Amazon after its big earnings beat, its strongest quarter in years. Apple falling on disappointing revenue outlook. Apple, however, reporting strong growth in its services division, as well as strength uh, in China. Market moving news coming in fast and furious this week. It has been a busy week, and who better to break it all down for us than our, our resident expert, Richard Quest, who joins us live now. So, Richard, of course, what the Fed has been looking for for quite a while uh, in terms of jobs, especially, is a broad sort of cooling in numbers, is that what we're seeing here? Is Jerome Powell going to be happy with this particular report? 
Yes, I think he is, because it is showing not only in the instant month of July, but in the revisions of May and June, that the number of jobs being created is slowing down. They're still being created, but just not at the same higher levels. And when you look at the revisions of the last two months and you look at the lower number for July, it is painting a picture of an economy gradually slowing because let's face it, when an economy slows, fewer jobs are created. I know it's sort of a a perversion that bad news is good news, but actually fewer jobs means the economy is slowing, and that probably means, at least by these numbers, that the Fed's medicine is working. Okay, so then he's happy with this report, as you point out. What does he do with the information, especially when it comes to when or whether or how to pause interest rate hikes? Yeah, I think you've got two parts to that equation. The first, do you raise rates more? The answer is probably no on the basis of this number, although there is a component here about the amount of uh, average hourly earnings, which was a bit higher than they will be happy with. But the bit that doesn't change, Zane, is you stay higher for longer. And that's the bit. So you may not raise rates more, but you're certainly going to keep them at these elevated levels for longer than you normally would. And that's also going to continue to slow the economy. We also saw, for example, numbers, if we get into the plumbing of the financial system, we saw, for instance, that the banking crisis earlier this year, uh, the banking crisis means that tighter lending, that in itself is slowing the economy. So there are a variety of forces all of which are doing Jerome Powell's work, which means he probably doesn't need to raise rates, maybe once, but probably not even that. I know, but when you look at, as you point out, the plumbing, looking at the plumbing of this particular jobs report, wage growth numbers, right? Wage growth numbers, he's not going to be too pleased with that. Um, You know, 0.4% rising over the month. What is what does Jerome Powell make of that? With that, this is the fear. The fear is that you're embedding inflation through wage spirals, uh, higher inflation, higher wage raise, uh, claims, higher wages, higher inflation. But you can break that. And the way you break it is with a cooling jobs market. And the moment you have a cooling jobs market, so pe- workers just can't ask for the extra money because there are more workers available. Now, that we're not there yet. So there is still some concern there will be at this higher hourly rate. But remember what I said, you don't need to raise rates much more, if at all, you just keep them higher for longer. And that has the same effect. So you just keep them steady. So in terms of market reaction, can you guys, can we put up what the Dow is doing right now? Last I checked, when we we just started uh, trading about five minutes or so ago. So up about 154 points or so, yep. basically more or less flat-ish. What do you no, think the market no. makes of the jobs report? Uh, I, I, think, I think the market is saying we're very pleased with it. I think the market is saying, at least initially, well, until we digest further, uh, that things are looking better than we had hoped at this point. Remember, a bad number would have meant higher rates. You know, you've only got to look at the UK to see just how desperate things can get. In the same way that we're talking about uh, the lowering of the US credit rating, the Bank of England raised rates for the 14th consecutive month. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's got a, a UK mortgage has seen it more than double. 
So you're seeing and, and, and arguably the Bank of England has not finished yet. So we are seeing different economies responding in different ways. The UK is still in deep trouble. The Eurozone is probably climbing out marginally better. But the US, to use the analogy, is the, is the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry <laughs> at the moment. The cleanest dirty shirt. And this morning's number confirms it. Right, because Jerome Powell has to thread this needle very carefully just in terms of ensuring that you can engineer yeah. a sort of soft landing. And um, you know, to, want to be honest, to create, inflate, create a recession. He wants to have a soft landing that he right. appears to be doing that somewhat. Right. And, and to be blunt, uh, to be honest, monetary policy through interest rates is an incredibly blunt instrument. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no fire on a day to day basis. It's a fine scalpel of monetary movements and mm-hmm. on overnight deposits. But on long term rates, it is mm-hmm. literally the bludgeon of interest rates. It is not sophisticated. It is not, it's not calibrated. Nuanced, right? It's not nuanced. And you mm-hmm. get to these moments where we are now where, frankly, you just literally, you're trying to you're trying to tune a Swiss clock with a sledgehammer. <laughs> OK, I love your analogies, Richard. Uh, <laughs> certainly wakes me up this time of the morning. Uh, Richard you. Quest live for us there. Thank you so much. All right. Back to one of our top stories this hour, how a growing number of indictments could impact Donald Trump's third run at the U.S. presidency. The former president is heading to campaign events in Alabama and South Carolina over the weekend after pleading not guilty to four federal charges over the alleged plot to reverse his 2020 election loss. So Anna Trina joins us live now. So in terms of what happens next, uh, uh, the court appearance, next court appearance is set for late August, which is shortly after the first presidential debate. Just walk us through how that impacts the next race for U.S. president. Right. Well, uh, this is something that's very much weighing on Donald Trump and his team's mind. And it's the argument that they're making uh, as part of their defense, which is that uh, these court appearances and these legal battles that he is having to face right now are interfering with his presidential campaign. Uh, And that's also part of why uh, they showed up in person yesterday for their court appearance. They wanted to show that he's being taken off the campaign trail in order to appear uh, in Washington, D.C. yesterday, but then again uh, later this summer to deal with his legal troubles. And so um, I think it's interesting to see. I mean, in the short term, we have been seeing Donald Trump's uh, standing in the polls uh, go up and he's benefiting from these, at least with his Republican voters and people in his base. Uh, They are choosing to support him even more and rallying around him in light of the charges. They also did this with the past two indictments that he's facing. But a big problem that I know the former president and his team recognize is how could this impact him uh, as he gets closer to the 2024 race? And also, if he is able to win the Republican nomination, of course, we are far away from that. Uh, But how will his court battles play uh, in regard to wanting to win a general election. And so this is very much weighing heavily on Donald Trump and his team. And I just want to share as well, Julia, that in light of everything we've been seeing this week with this most recent indictment, the former president is very angry. He's very frustrated by this. He's arguing that, yes, he has to be taken off the trail to participate in some of this, but also a lot of the money uh, that his political action committee has been raising, money that should be spent on advertising, 
housing and helping him pay for rallies uh, is now needing to be redirected to his legal team. And uh, it's something that's really angered him. And so I think you're going to continue to see Donald Trump be defiant, be um, angry and frustrated, show that online. You're seeing him post on Truth Social today, uh, echoing that kind of rhetoric. I think you're going to continue to see that over this weekend, both uh, today in Alabama and on Saturday in South Carolina. Julia. Yeah. And just in terms of you know, how much worse this gets for him, we're seeing barricades being erected outside the Fulton County Courthouse right. uh, in Georgia. So who knows when we're going to see an indictment in that particular case. It could be very soon. Alana Trinline for us there. Thank you so much. Right. Two U.S. Navy sailors arrested for allegedly sending sensitive military information to Chinese intelligence officers. The charges demonstrate the PRC's determination to obtain information that is critical to our national defense by any means so it could be used to their advantage. The alleged conduct also represents a violation of the solemn obligation of members of our military to defend our country, to safeguard our secrets, and to protect their fellow service members. Natasha Bertrand is live for us at the Pentagon with details. So what evidence uh, do prosecutors have? What are they saying? Yeah, so prosecutors unveiled two indictments yesterday against two U.S. sailors who have separate cases here, but they are very related. Uh, essentially, what prosecutors are alleging is that one of these U.S. Navy sailors who was working at uh, Naval Base San Diego, Jin Chao Wei, he was essentially an engineer working on U.S. Navy ships as well as the USS Essex. And what happened was in February of 2022, he apparently began an asset handler relationship, according to the indictment with a Chinese intelligence officer, and he started providing uh, this officer with images of the USS Essex, as well as other Navy ships, including photos of their layouts and the weapon systems on these ships themselves. Uh, and in exchange, according to the indictment, he received thousands of dollars uh, from this Chinese intelligence officer. Now, in the other case, which again is related, but, but separate from the first one, another U.S. Navy sailor, he apparently was communicating with the Chinese intelligence officer between 2021 and 2023, and he was an electrician but essentially he fixed electrical equipment at U.S. military facilities around the world. And he began providing this intelligence officer, according to the indictment, with uh, photos of U.S. radar systems in Okinawa, Japan, as well as other information uh, related to U.S. military exercises in the Indo-Pacific. And in exchange, prosecutors say he received about $15,000 from this Chinese intelligence officer. Now, Wei, who is the first defendant here, he pleaded not guilty yesterday, according to prosecutors. We still don't know how the second defendant here is going to plead, but this is just an example, according to the U.S. government of how far China is willing to go to try to steal U.S. military secrets from U.S. service members, apparently targeting uh, U.S. Navy sailors in an attempt to gain uh, military advantages uh, that they can then use uh, to pursue, of course, their own uh, national security interests. And so what the U.S. is saying here is that, look, this is uh, very, very concerning, not only, of course, that China would target these individuals, but also that these U.S. service members allegedly 
they would uh, provide this information to them. And we should note that the U.S. military is still reeling uh, from charges filed earlier this year against another U.S. service member who allegedly uh, mishandled classified information by simply posting it on the Internet. So this is at least the third time this year that U.S. service members uh, have faced charges related to the mishandling of classified and sensitive uh, national security information. All right, Natasha Bertrand, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, still to come here on First Move, Lebanon marks three years since the port explosion that shook Beirut and killed hundreds. We'll have the details next. From executive producers Park Chanuk and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. All right, today marks the third anniversary of the devastating explosion that leveled parts of Beirut, Lebanon in 2020. A day of mourning has been declared for the more than 200 victims who died and the thousands more who were hurt. The blast originated in a warehouse full of ammonium nitrate that had been improperly stored for many years. The shockwave was one of the biggest non-nuclear explosion ever recorded. To date, no official investigation into the cause has been completed. Uh, Tamara Kiblawi joins us live now. Tamara, so much anger, so much pain because there has been no justice for the victims and really no accountability. Walk us through it. Absolutely. Um, You know, three years on, we are none the wiser. Uh, If anything, there are more questions about the port explosion than there are answers at the moment. You see people pouring into the streets of Beirut, not only to mourn their dead, not only to commemorate this terrible tragedy, but also to demonstrate against what was what is, has been essentially a stunning obstruction of justice orchestrated by a Lebanese political elite, many of whom have been prosecuted in an investigation into the port explosion. Now, that investigation has more or less been frozen because of repeated legal petitions against the the, uh, current investigating judge, uh, which has, of course, fueled anger on the streets. However, it's really important to note that... uh, People, uh, the relatives of the deceased, leading lawyers, uh, members of uh, civil society are now planning to take their pursuit of justice elsewhere. There is an overwhelming demand on the streets, in the media, among these leading figures for a UN fact-finding mission. Increasingly, they are calling upon the international community to intervene. But as it stands, yes, a frozen investigation more questions than there are answers. We still don't know what what caused uh, the port explosion. We know that the ammonium nitrate was explo- exploded. We know that they were improperly stored. We know that corruption was a, a major culprit in, in this. However, the specifics are incredibly elusive. And as uh, you will see from the streets of Beirut, the wounds are raw. Uh, relatives of the, de- the deceased are still teary-eyed, but... We are none the wiser, and uh, there are real questions as to where the pursuit of justice goes from here. Zane? 
Yeah, and I mean, when you think about it, I mean, three years, I mean, it, it probably feels like yesterday for a lot of the family members of the victims, just so much emotional pain, so much uh, just in terms of uh, psychological harm for a lot of people who lived through that. Um, we'll see what happens in terms of the pursuit of justice. Tamara Kibwari, life for us there. Thank you so much. Pope Francis is visiting Portugal this week for a World Youth Day, an international gathering for Catholic young people. Lisbon police say half a million people came out for the Pope's address on Thursday. CNN's Antonia Mortensen was there and she sent us this report. Pope Francis officially kicked off World Youth Day in front of a huge crowd on Thursday. Organizers say over 350,000 people registered to be here in Lisbon. His message to the young faithful, don't be afraid to stir things up, take care of the planet and beware of the pitfalls of online addiction. Catholic youth have traveled here from all over the world for this event, which is held every three years in a different location and is dubbed as the Catholic Woodstock. And it really does feel like a festival with live music and lots of singing and dancing around us, not only here in this park, but in the whole city. The Pope started his day by meeting and praying privately with 15 Ukrainians who travelled to Portugal for this event. He then met with students and staff of Lisbon's Catholic University and during that speech he urged young people to keep seeking and to be ready to take risks in a world which faces enormous challenges. The five-day trip is taking place in the shadow of a clerical abuse scandal here. Earlier this year, a report published by an independent commission found that some of the Catholic clergy in Portugal had abused thousands of children over a 70-year period. On Wednesday evening, the Pope did meet privately with 13 victims of clerical abuse. The Vatican described it as a time of intense listening, and during an address, he said that the Catholic Church needs to do better when dealing with victims of clerical abuse saying that the church is in need of humble and ongoing purification and must listen to the anguished cry of the victims. Despite his recent surgery and struggles with mobility, the Pope has an intense schedule with some 11 speeches during his trip and more events than in the past trips this year, including a trip to the country's popular shrine of Fatima. The 86-year-old pontiff was in very good form on the papal flight from Rome's Fiumicino airport and he joked with journalists saying he would come back from the strip rejuvenated. Antonio Mortensen, CNN, Lisbon. All right, in entertainment news, it seems rapper Cardi B is off the hook and will not face battery charges after her concert, concert in Las Vegas last weekend. She was under police investigation for this moment, wow, throwing a microphone into the crowd. It was obviously apparent retaliation after the concert goer sprayed her with a drink while she was on stage. Cardi B's attorneys say police notified them she would face no charges based on the, the department's investigation. CNN has reached out to Las Vegas police for comment. And finally, here on First Move, the singer Lizzo is speaking out about a lawsuit filed this week against her and her production company. Three of her former dancers alleged they were subject to a hostile work environment. One says that she was harassed about her weight. Another said Lizzo pressured them to touch nude performers at a club in Amsterdam. Lizzo is calling the allegation sensationalized. 
posting on Instagram, quote, I know what it feels like to be body shamed and I would absolutely never criticize or terminate an employee because of their weight. And she added, I am hurt, but I will not let the good work I've done in the world be overshadowed by this. In a CNN interview, one of the dancers says that she was disheartened by Lizzo's response and called it incredibly frustrating. CNN has reached out to a representative for Lizzo and her company, Big Girl, Big Touring Inc., that's the name of the company, for comment on the complaint. All right, everyone, that is it for the show. Connect the world is up next. I'll be back with you in about two hours from now, too. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.